Hi, I'm Christina Dennis, and you are listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a recovered life discussion all about setting healthy boundaries and how codependency could be keeping you from living your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now let's jump into the discussion. Welcome everybody to Recovered Life. My name is Christina Dennis and I am running a few minutes behind today. Had to something come up right at nine that needed to be dealt with. So thank you for bearing with me. Um, I am a recovery coach and uh, an expert in breaking codependent patterns. And uh, I am so happy to see your faces this morning. In today's room, all about setting healthy boundaries, I kind of have a pop culture interesting topic. But as always, this is a discussion room. Just some some ground rules because this is rebroadcasted and sometimes used on the Recover Life podcast. Please uh, use first names only so that everybody feels comfortable sharing. And of course, keep your remarks to being uh, kind and thoughtful. It's um, it's so nice to to be here and to see the people that come in week after week. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate you all hanging out while I'm getting ready. I wanted to share something that I found really interesting um, about the word codependence and um, something that I came across last week um, based on some pop culture. There is this song that is from Lizzo, uh, that kind of gar- garnered a lot of attention because she inadvertently used a derogatory word um, without knowing the meaning of it. And uh, she used uh, in her first lyric, the song is called Girls, and in the first uh, court or verse she says she's about to spaz out. And I, I learned at the same time that she learned, I mean, I knew that wasn't a nice word, but growing up in the 80s, or uh, I knew that that word was often used as a way to be derogatory to someone, but uh, there was uh, a, a backlash because it's a word that is used for the uh, disabled community and it's derogatory. And she immediately, uh, after releasing it, started to get feedback through social media that this word was not appropriate and I applaud her um, because within I believe two days she had re-recorded it, re-released it and came out and made a statement and owned her mistake. You know, the word did not mean to her what it what it meant to them, but by no means did she want to be derogatory. And so the song was sent to me because in the chorus she uses we codependent, you know, my girl and I, and she uses it as a, um, as a positive. And I was kind of like, wow, first of all, I don't see that word out there, but I do know that codependent relationships and relationships that don't have boundaries and are 
you know, true love, true romantic love is about being willing to die for somebody else. You know, a mother has true love uh, when she uh, is selfless. She's a great mother if she can be selfless. I mean, all these different things that um, that we talk about in here about how dangerous that is. And so when I saw the 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 actual verse, I mean, this became the chorus. We codependent, whatever is, she, you know, basically she says, whatever that my friend has or wants, I'm with her on it. And I don't think that she's describing what true codependency is, but it kind of like took me by surprise, like, wow, because codependency is, is actually very dangerous. And so I thought today perhaps we could have a conversation about, and this is a discussion, about how codependency and setting healthy boundaries is still something that isn't depicted as healthy love. You know, um, I believe, I don't know Lizzo, obviously, I enjoy her music. I'm, I'm not even really taking exception with the way that she used the word. But it really made me start thinking about how many people believe that relationships without boundaries are better or are how family operates or, you know, um, how we're supposed to love a partner. And the truth is, you know, what we're looking for when we enter into relationships is something that we call interdependent. And interdependence is a, is a situation where you have two whole people who create something that is a third thing. And it's, um, it's so funny because I know in, to bring this back to recovery in 12 Steps, uh, there was a lot of discussion about you can't have expectations. Um, expectations are uh, resentments in the making. And I don't necessarily believe that is true when you are a partner with somebody, when you are friends with somebody, that there needs to be a expressed expectation and an ability to have wants and needs and to be able to share those. Is it the other person's job to, to furnish them for you? Not necessarily, but you do have a code of behavior. And so I thought I would ask some of the people that are in the audience to come up and kind of discuss what do you think about you know, is it right for her to use this word to depict loyalty? Is this something we should worry about? How do we, as a society, stop um, stop with the romantic love stories and the rom-coms? How how do we make the distinction that does you know that the prince isn't going to come and that isn't the prince's job? And uh, that is my idea for our discussion. So uh, I'm going to pause and see if some people would like to come up and kind of share in the um, information with me and tell me what you think. Great. You can hear me, right? <laughs> I can hear you. Good, good. Because the app is being so weird. There were two pictures on it this whole time. And I did not know who I was talking to. <laughs> and then I saw all of your shiny faces. Thank you. Thanks for being willing to come up. Um, do you have you heard that song, Sam? 
Okay, so to be honest, I didn't, I wasn't here for the whole thing that you were saying. I know like oh. some parts of what you said, but now I'm here. <laughs> I understand. Well, you don't I opened it up because I did, I was sent this song from Lizzo Girls and what she's talking about is, you know, the chorus is we codependent my girl, you know, what, what my girl is, I am. And it literally talks about how they're enmeshed or I think she's just trying to say loyal, but of course it was sent to me, you know, and it became kind of in my eyesight, eye line because of the controversy over the first part of it, um, in which I applaud how she handled it. She took care of it. But then as somebody who is known to talk about codependency, I was like, oh, wow, here it is. The, the actual word is being used. Whereas I believe that a lot of our art, a lot of our romantic stories, a lot of our mothering and fathering have to do with not having boundaries. And so it's, you know, it's very interesting to see this word and want to go, no, that's not what codependency is. You know, codependency is very dangerous. It is where we forgo our needs, where we are so hyper-focused on uh, serving up to other people's needs that we do ourselves harm. And, and so, uh, you know, I'm just wanting to have people feel comfortable coming up and sharing. Cool. Thank you. Um, well, yeah, I think in the media, um, codependency is kind of like definitely romanticized and seen as like a good thing, especially in romantic relationships. Um, and I don't know, um, like in, in other instances, I see people like, like diversity wise, like getting more representation and like kind of fixing it from like the inside, like by showing up, but I don't see like all the code, like people who like deal with codependency, like going to the media and being like, well, this is actually how it should be portrayed. Like, I don't see the same kind of path necessarily. And I don't think, um, I don't see it ever really being treated as something that is dangerous. Um, through the media, even though like, obviously it is, I don't see like, I think that uh, like capitalism wins and also like ignorance and people just like, don't really know. Um, so I do think it's just like a story that's gonna continue to be reproduced um, and that young people will watch it and think that that's uh, right. Um, and like good, um, not right and wrong, but like, you know, good and healthy. I mean, you know, so. Um, yeah, like maybe one, maybe one day, like far off in the future, like we will have evolved to have a greater understanding that that's um, not healthy. And then those people will work in the media and be able to influence what is produced. But I, I don't see that happening for a really long time, if ever. Right. And I have to say, I am so conditioned for a romantic comedy to be entertaining, you know? I think that probably the work can be done exactly, I mean, that was brilliant the way you said that, Sam, exactly how it's being done with people who show up on Clubhouse and talk about it, you know, the recovery groups that discuss it, uh, people that share and, and, and go hopefully, you know, I've seen a real big 
surge when people talk about attachment styles in the last five years. Attachment styles have kind of helped people understand, you know, if you are an anxious attacher and you're an avoidant attacher, often that ends up being, uh, or somebody who attach, avoids attachment, those two pairs seem to be together. And that, and codependency begins from our childhood, from not understanding what a healthy boundary is, having, you know, romantic relationships or, or families that have no boundaries, um, who expect us to manage their emotions as children, as our models. But also media and entertainment reinforces this idea and there are people out there speaking against it there are people you know that are talking about the dangers in different groups you know where we uh, one of my heroes glennon doyle um she talks about how dangerous it is it is for society to want to have <clears throat> excuse me a selfless mother and how unhealthy that really is for your child. And, and since it's kind of, I think people are more in the listening mode, I'll explain a little bit about my history with codependency. I am a recovering alcoholic, um, and that was how I was introduced to the recovery world uh, 25 plus, 25 plus years ago, 1997 is my sobriety date from alcohol. But within a couple of years, I was in a very crazy place because of a romantic relationship. And I was so invested in this younger man, he was a couple years younger than me, um, helping him uh, overcome his uh, pornography addiction. Uh, and <clears throat> 25 years ago, there wasn't a lot of discussion about sexual addiction, but there was a support group, um, and there was a 12-step group around it. And um, that was, you know, we had marriage counselor, or not marriage counselor, we had couples counseling, and it was discussed. And uh, we, of course, met in rehab, so we had the, you know, most beautiful, healthy start. And, of course, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. Um, but we were together for three, four years. Uh, and... I had so much pain because I had taken away the alcohol when he was struggling with his addiction and I didn't have a word for it. But in order for, for him, every time he'd have a slip and I would find it, he would beg me to stay and he would say, this is an addiction and can you please go to the, the partners group? And that was my introduction to codependency. And it was called Codependence of Sex Addicts. And I still attend that group, even though in that particular relationship, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't in the cards for us to stay together. And what I learned in that group was I finally learned what this meaning, this word was of codependency, where I needed other people to love me in order for me to feel like I existed and deserved to exist. And what that meant was that I would turn myself inside out to supply not only my boyfriend, I mean, he was a fiance at the time, my, my partner, uh, my uh, uh, friends, my employer's wishes, 
And in order for me to feel safe, I needed to have them reflect back to me that they needed me. You know, I needed to, I needed people to need me in order to feel like I, it was okay for me to breathe. And I'll tell you, uh, when I quit drinking, it was, it was drastic, but it was so much easier because it was very, it's very easy to determine it, determine sobriety. You know, when it comes to alcohol, it's black and white. You put down the drink. I'm not saying that recovery from it was easy because I was absolutely a full-fledged alcoholic you know, seven cocktails minimal a night. I remember my intake uh, very well uh, to the outpatient uh, program that I was introduced to by my employer. And I would tell, you know, very simply to this person who was asking me about my drinking history, I'd say, well, you know, if uh, we were out really partying, I could get up to 22, 23 cocktails. And I, I cannot believe sometimes now that I did not get sicker. Um, I didn't die. But there was something about being without a numbing agent and having somebody, an addict, um, that really brought me to my knees emotionally. And so I went to this codependent group, codependent sex addicts group, to try to figure out how I could get him to overcome his sex addiction. And make no mistake, active sex addiction is prison for people who suffer from it. And I actually identify as a co-sex addict because I used sexual behavior as currency, you know, that not unusual for addicts, not unusual for uh, sex abuse survivors. And so there was this kind of, he was addicted to me when he first met me and then he moved on. And that just, thought, I thought, oh my God, I'm gonna die. Well, he left the program, but I stayed. And that's when I started to discover that everything, every action I had was based on taking care of other people so that somehow they would take care of me. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know, um, you know, there's this scene in this movie called The Runaway Bride with Julia Roberts where she doesn't know what kind of eggs she likes. It's an old, old movie, but it's basically depicting her codependency um, and how she morphs into what whoever she's engaged to. Um, and I remember watching that movie uh, and going, yeah, that's codependency. And um, I, I didn't have any idea who I was. And I'd like to say, oh, I stuck around for a couple of years and I, and I got really good at it and figured it out. But that's not what recovering from codependency looks like. Recovering from codependency is, is really a journey inward where we start to unearth these belief systems that tell us, you know, that we either were directly told or inferred by a caregiver that it was our job to make somebody else emotionally happy, that we needed to behave a certain way to be accepted, and that we weren't worth anything unless we we're attached um, and doing what, you know, we're not, unless we're falling into line and doing what we're supposed to do. And so my recovery in codependency, um, I'm on a over two decade journey and I still 
fight these tendencies. I still see um, how I will forego my needs. I'll slip into old habits. I'll become manic in trying to solve problems. Um, or how it might be the first thought when, when a challenge comes up. I've always said that when you make your mark by being somebody who can overcome crisis, it's easy to be shopping for crisis because that's how you feel like you're alive. And so in my particular journey, uh, the recovering from codependence within a support group, getting a therapist, learning to ask for my needs to be met, learning to what my needs are has been a very slow journey, um, you know, and it's been worth it. And that led me to a program for everyone who's in recovered life uh, called Adult Children of Alcoholics. And I have to say that was that was that deeper journey because even though I was raised by grandparents who were teetotalers, it was a bunch of um, it, it was it was a bunch of um, codependent enmeshment, boundarylessly um, living, and I, I have to say that I believe you know as I said I I have no no problem with with Lizzo I I love a lot of her songs I think she's very entertaining, and I doubt that if she had a full understanding of what codependency was, or is. Um, that she would use it to depict loyalty, but it was too good of a um, it was too, it was too good not to share in this particular room where we work on on recognizing that codependency can be uh, as destructive as addiction to substances, if not even more, in my opinion. So, uh, thank you for letting me indulge um, and share my story. And Chelsea came up. Hi there. Welcome. Hi. I just related to just um, so much of your story. I always do. Um, and I was, um, it's really kind of weird um, that I'm hearing all this stuff and you're talking about like, you know, what we think we deserve and um, that sort of thing. Because my sponsor has me doing like a sane and sound um, ideal list so, like for like my spiritual ideals and like my sex ideals and what I think is okay and what's not okay. And um, it was basically like due by today. Like she's gonna like check on me. So I've been doing it like while I'm at work cause I put it off. Um, but I've been putting it off because there is a particular person that I've had in my life, like literally since 2017. And he is in and out of my life basically whenever he wants to be. Um, and I didn't want to like write these things down. Not that you have to like follow them very strictly, but like to know like when you're kind of going against what you really want or um, what you think you need, I guess. But like, like I didn't, I don't, I did not want to do it because I know this person does not fit a lot of these things that I'm like writing out and like, it's driving me crazy. Like, um, it just is. Cause I feel like this is a person that I'm like 
it, like you said, like, it's like, I'm weirdly addicted to him. And I don't know, like, um, I don't know, but like, it, it just put me in a weird headspace. So it's funny that you were talking about that today. Cause I haven't really listed those things in a long time. And like, since like early sobriety and they've changed a lot, like what I think is okay. And what I think isn't okay. And that sort of thing. And, and like, I started out by like, just writing, like, ideally what I want to be as a person. And as I wrote it, like certain words stuck out and I wrote them on another page, like as like, like a list of like what I want to show up as. So it's something that I can also expect. Like, so I'm not like expecting, um, you know, like super high things. It's something that I'm living up to. Um, but yeah, I'm just like in a, in an emotional state right now, but like, I'm glad that I did it, you know, I'm just glad. Oh my goodness, Chelsea. Do I understand one of the hardest hardest things that I've done um, and like I don't want to say that that being in recovery is easy from substance but for me and my story I used alcohol to treat my codependency you know I used it as a way to numb out how impossible it was to uh, let go of toxic people you know, I used it as a way to just move on to the next one and pretend that it didn't matter. And so when that was removed from me and I was connected with somebody and, and, and truly this is, and this work has been going along around a long time, not just in recovery circles where we attract what we need to work out in ourselves. And, uh, we, we bring, you know, uh, we marry our parents in so many ways because we're trying to work out that healing that um, you're trying to win. You know, uh, I can't tell you how many times I married my grandmother uh, or got engaged, I should say. I've, I'm not, I've been married three times and it took me a long time to get to this third very happy marriage because I didn't know you know, my, my buttons, my systems were set to dysfunction. And somehow I kept thinking that if I could get somebody who reminded me who I was familiar with to, you know, not be, you know, my grandmother was bipolar um, and untreated bipolar. And uh, I thought she was my mother till I was 16. And it was just this weird, awful, you know, you are Cinderella story kind of, except there was no real prince, you know, it was just, you are other, you're not wanted. And I remember I just, if there was a person in the room, if there was a man in the room who was hurting and unavailable and, uh, you know, dismissive, I wanted to be with that person because I wanted to somehow set the record straight. And if I could get that one to love me, then my grandmother was wrong. And I know that sounds kind of ludicrous, but it truly was what drove me. I picked jobs that reminded me of my family systems. And I acted out in those jobs as if I was the, you know, the, the, ugly stepchild or whatever the phrase is, the redheaded stepchild. I mean, 
I don't know why, I don't know what to, else to call it, but I did it. I was compelled because I kept wanting to set the record straight. And there was nothing, there was nothing harder for me to do than to let go of a person. And, and I'd like to say, you know, I had to learn it once and then I didn't do it again, but I actually did it several more times and have had to spend years first recognizing that I'm creating or I'm participating, I would like to say sometimes, because they also bring their dysfunction into a, a system that somehow is going to let me set the record straight. And don't you know, I was valuable all along. And my parents or grandparents were wrong. They shouldn't have not, they should have not have wanted me. And, um, and that is the whole, the whole sticky mess of codependency. And I'm also glad that you brought up basically solution. And I'd love to talk a little bit more about the solution um, or the beginnings of recovery. Uh, I follow a lot of people on social media. So, you know, it's not just me. And once you hit that algorithm, I see a lot of things changing about accepting yourself, loving yourself. And our very first room over a year ago was the first step to overcoming codependency and learning how to set healthy boundaries is learning how to love yourself. And I love that your sponsor is making you or asking you, suggesting that you figure out what you want because so many of us never ever learned as children, you know, that um, that we were allowed to have dreams or wants. We just assume that if we find the right person and we find these people that remind us of our family because that's what our radio station is set to, to, to define as love. Um, I mean, there, I, I'm sure I went out on dates with some healthy people that, you know, didn't want me they didn't want me to give up everything for them. And I found them boring. I wasn't set to in tune for that. I didn't know how to. I, I was the anxious attacher. And so, you know, the first step, if you're in this room and you've heard a lot of like, I mean, we've talked a lot about the, the really danger and harm of codependency and not setting healthy boundaries. The first step is figuring out who you are. Who are you? without another person. What drives you? When I work with clients, 100% of the time, they don't have hobbies. They don't have things that they love. They are struggling to, you know, no one's ever asked them, who are you outside of this um, relationship? Who are you outside of this career? Uh, it's We don't live in a world that that nurtures or celebrates or encourages us to figure out who we are. And so if you're in this room, you've never heard of the word codependency, you were attracted by setting healthy boundaries, you know, it starts with you finding a group that will help you start to learn to love yourself or, or hiring a coach or getting into therapy to understand that really setting healthy boundaries start with your relationship with yourself. And my, my good friend Meredith came up, who I just adore, and I know you have a lot of experience, so I'd love to quit chatting and seeing what, see what you'd like to share. Hey, Christina. Hello. Thank you so much. Hey, honey. Um, I adore you, too. You're 
you're just an absolute angel to me. Um, I always love coming into your rooms and just hearing your story. I could just listen to it over and over again. And, you know, you bring so much to this community and to me personally. Um, I know in my journey, um, learning to love myself has been the hardest job that I have ever done in my life. Loving others for me was easy. Um, doing for them was easy. Um, in a sense that, you know, it became difficult, but in the beginning, it was just always just easy. Um, and when I had to shift that focus and take it off of them and say, okay, who are you? What do you like? What are your hobbies? What makes you feel good? It's like, holy shit, I have no clue. Somebody asked me what my favorite color was one time. I remember it was my attorney in the middle of my divorce. And she's like, Meredith, do you even know what your favorite color is? What's your favorite color? And I'm like, you know, I really don't know. Um, all I could see was black. You know, it was just such a dark time. So, you know, I knew for a long time that there was something wrong. And I had tossed the word around, you know, a lot, codependency, but never really knew the depths and how much it had consumed my life, how much of my being it had taken um, until I got into the program. And, you know, I came into the program hoping to get someone else sober, not really realizing that I was there for myself, but I was, you know, I was being divinely led to that, to that place. And I quickly learned that I needed to be there. And it literally, if, one way I guess I could describe it is that I felt like my life was being shoved into a Coke bottle and somebody shook it up and then they took the lid off. And when the lid came off, it's like my entire world exploded because I'd lived my life for decades one way and it always felt off, it never felt right, it never felt good. And when that lid came off and it exploded, it's like, I see there's a different way, but how in the hell do you do it? Um, I didn't know how to do it. So I love when you talk about the solution um, because, you know, I am a problem solver and one of my things is I'm a doer. You know, I, I, feel, I feel better when I'm doing a very uncomfortable sitting, just still. And in my recovery, I've had to learn how to do that. But, you know, those steps, giving me a checklist of one through 12. You know, I talked about this in our meeting yesterday about, oh man, yeah, there's, there's 12 steps. Yeah, let me do that. I'll just check one off at a time and then I'll be all good. Um, you know, I quickly learned that this is a true it is a personal journey that no one can take for you, but you need a lot of support and a lot of help along the way. And finding community and finding support is absolutely vital. Um, you know, being a member of the ACOA um, community has been, um, it has deepened my recovery to a point I, I can barely even put into words. It's truly, I've truly found my inner child in my own being. Um, and I can honor my little girl, I can honor my teenager, I can honor my adult self. And, you know, working on integration of those has just been absolutely remarkable. So I love the solution. Even though this work is hard, the alternative is worse because the alternative means I just stay stuck swirling in my own shit. And I just, I don't ever want to get back to that place again. I want to keep moving forward always. Because I know as long as I keep moving forward, there's something great ahead. My higher power is on me. So thank you so much for this room, Christina. Thank you so much for your words of wisdom and always being there for me. I love you. I'll pass the mic back to you. Oh, thank you. And your, your description of the Coke bottle shaking up is exactly what it kind of feels like. It is literally so disorienting. And, you know, 
I've, I've had, I've had those experiences. I mean, it's, I'm not being overdramatic to say that the first time I said no to a request, I thought I was going to die. The anxiety, because I was back in my childhood, because I, the trauma that I experienced where it was never okay to say no, I really needed that support. And I remember basically having to sit on my hands and 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 calling people, is it okay that I told this person no? They're going to hate me. It's not all right. I'm in trouble, you know, and I'm a grown person. I think, you know, in my late 20s, I'm in trouble. What's going to happen? Uh, yeah. And and so I, that's why... Um, that's why I've spent so much of my recovery focused on that because I want to have my life. I want to be free and I want to heal. And uh, this is this is where I found it too. And just for people, because I see a lot of new faces, uh, the program ACOA, it stands for Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. Um, but there's also codependency, um, there's some great resources that uh, I will, um, I'm happy if you want to DM me to send you to them and places to find out about it because this is really deep work and, um, and it's, it's truly changed every aspect of my life. And you, I don't know how to say your name, is it Yuchi? Yuchi? Welcome. Thanks for coming up. What would you like to share? Yes, this is Yuchi. Nice to meet you. Thank you. <laughs> nice to meet you. Thank you, Christina, for having me. I have been following you, and I love and enjoy your conversation. Uh, many topics that uh, you share, uh, I have learned a lot. And today, I just wanted to be speaker because the topic that you are sharing today is it's confusing me because I... I say, am I? Am I codependent to my husband? Is he codependent on me? And where does that leave us? Is it healthy? But if it is not healthy, why does it feel so right? You know? Um, I have been married with this wonderful man 27 years now. Uh, we have a very um, joyful relationship. I couldn't be happier. Um, throughout that year, we become not only husband and wife, but each other's best friend. I mean, we do everything together, literally. We cook together. We go shopping together. We cook. I mean, we, we do everything. We go vacation. We even go to bed together. <laughs> up to the point I can't go to bed sometimes over the weekend. He likes to stay up. I can't even go to sleep without him being next to me. Um, vacation together. Um, watch the um, movie together. I mean, we do everything together. Only time he and I are separated when he's at work and when I am with my client. So, but it feels right. I do things that sometimes, quite honestly, it's my partner. I do think of his need before mine and I go above and beyond. And I know he does the same thing to me. And many of the main thing that he takes care of my car, only thing that I do is I just drive. And 
couple of weeks ago, I realized that my gas tank almost empty and I drive to get a um, gas station and surprisingly find out I don't even know how to pump the gas. I'm like, oh my God, because I never did it. He always take care of that part. Likely gentleman next to me, teach me how to pump it. So one day I was coming from Austin after working and I tell my husband, hey, uh, we have a main dish. Can you cook rice? And he was like, oh, I don't know how to, because he always depend on me how to cook rice. So where does that leave us? I mean, are we so much depending on one another, but feeling so good in it that it doesn't feel that either he or I too much burden to one another. Where does that leave us? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. I'm so glad because, you know, I want to say to everybody, my husband and I both work from home and we're together a lot. It is not about the amount of time and, and whether you, one person, you know, the division of, of labor or duties within a household. It, it, and of course, there are going to be times where we prefer to somebody else. The problem is when we do it to the harm of our own self. You know, uh, it sounds to me like you have a lovely, wonderful relationship and that in which both of your needs and wants are being attended to. A codependent relationship looks like someone never addresses their own needs, doesn't help themselves, uh, puts away anything that they want in order to um, help the other person. The term codependency was developed by Alcoholics Anonymous in the late 80s. It's a relatively new term in many ways. And it was specifically the definition of it was where one partner needs another partner to remain sick or be the identified patient in, for, in order for the first partner to feel like they have worth. It has to do with you don't have any worth unless this person loves you. You don't have any worth outside of uh, how other people see you. And so it's, you know, it is tricky. And I'm really glad that you came up and asked that question because, you know, I'll, I'll say it this way. The short answer of, of what codependency is, is behavior pattern of focusing on someone else's needs before our own to the point that it harms us. The long answer is an excessive dependence on other people's approval for our very sense of identity. And I can see from your profile, you know, that you have a lot of things that you do, you know, and he has his own work and you each have your individual needs. So who you prefer to spend time with, that sounds very healthy to me. And so codependency is when we cause ourselves harm because we don't, for, we don't attend to our own needs and we are excessively dependent on other people for our own identity. And, you know, the easiest thing, one of the easiest ways to look at it and, and also one of the more difficult ways to, to arrest it is parenting where a, a mother, I mean, it tends to, I mean, I'm a mother, so that's the perspective I'll share where I put all of my, I mean, for the, when the baby is an infant, of course I have to forego my sleep. 
in order to take care of the baby. That's necessary. That is absolutely necessary. I put away my needs. And anybody who's raised children know, both mother and father, the lack of sleep, the inability to sit down those first, you know, four or five years is very, very difficult. But now, and, and it's one of the highest compliments uh, a mother can have is that she's selfless. But that continues the pattern. You know, that teaches our children that this is what a mother does. She doesn't take care of herself. She takes care of everyone else. And a interdependent relationship is, is where each person's needs are being met. And there is a third solution. Um, there's, and I say this all the time, so forgive me for the rep repetition, but there is a movie, you know, Jerry Maguire, where You Complete Me was touted as an incredibly romantic thing to say. But that is not true. That is not a healthy position. We come as whole people and then one person and a second person who's whole become interdependent, which is what you're describing on each other. I do this part in the relationship, you do that part in the relationship, and both needs are being met by the other person. It, it Often codependency looks like one person who is excessively, you know, um, serving up the other person's needs and they never know exactly what they what they want you know what do they like what do they ask for and they quietly don't share their needs and there's an ugly side to codependency too that um, that ends up you know when you're a person like I was when you're a codependent like I was we become very manipulative with other people you know we use language like I need you to do this. If you loved me, you'd do this. If you, you know, if you cared about me, you, I would, I would, you know, you would not go out and hang out with your friends tonight um, because I need you to stay home. And um, that's part of the ugly part of it. And if you're in recovery, uh, we have, uh, if you've gone through the 12 steps like Meredith brought up and like where I've come through, uh, recovery and you know of course I, I didn't stop there and went on for lots of education around it but the 12 steps talk about manipulation and character defects and they talk about us addicts wanting to be the directors of the world so in many ways a codependent becomes a a more um, manipulative and controlling partner with their partners, you know, and that was definitely my case where I emotionally blackmailed or I had these invisible contracts with my partners where, you know, I would give them everything that they could possibly want, secretly believing that it was then their job to give me everything I wanted. And of course, based on my history, I picked partners that had no interest in doing that. I picked avoidance. Um, people who avoided attachment because I was going to get that one person who was afraid of relationships to love me so I could be the most lovable person. And it is so, it is such a uh, layered um, dysfunction 
and, um, and I don't know if that helped answer your question, you see, but I, I want you to know that by no means a loving relationship in which two partners are, de are dependent on each other for division of labor, for, you know, happiness, for entertainment. I think it's, I think that the goal in every, um, romantic relationship and certainly what ends up happening once all of that uh, you know the oxytocin and the 18 months of the chemicals rushing in is friendship and is having mutual likes I mean it's not not every loving relationship is based on on having that that's one of the things that we learn about when we start trying to figure out like Chelsea brought up what do we want in a relationship I knew when I met my husband, I wanted a partner who liked to do the same things I did. You know, that is what I wanted. But I just, um, yeah, I am so glad that you brought that up because I don't, this is not a black and white issue. It is so much more layered than that. And um, I'd like to to just say thank you to everybody who came up, Sam, Chelsea, Meredith, you, you, you see, and tell everybody that, if you suspect that you um, perhaps are excessively dependent on other people's opinions, that there is a way to start breaking these cycles. Um, there are a couple of authors that have been around quite some time that really have beautiful books that explain it, um, you know, big books that explain it uh, much better than I have in this, this short hour. Um, that you can study. There's uh, facing, um, uh, facing Codependency by Pia Melody or Beyond Codependency by Melody Beatty. Um, and those are the books that I always suggest people start with or just look at a codependent, um, you know, Google Codependence Anonymous and take the questionnaire and see. I have a workbook that I'm working on on my website. If you want to join my mailing list, I will be announcing it shortly. That has, you know, 65 questions that you can look at and say, oh, yeah, yeah, actually, I tend to lean toward codependent relationships. I tend to be an anxious attacher. Um, Underneath it all is this wonderful, I mean, the recovery of codependency is such a beautiful way. And I hope that as I continue to do this work and many other people become aware of it, we start redefining um, what healthy relationships look like and what it is um, to be valuable because you exist you know to have that self-love that is that is my goal every day to continue to work toward that I'm not better than anyone I'm not worse than anyone and um, with that I just want to thank everybody tomorrow we will be doing the unstuck room in your recovery um, I believe that it's going to have to be a little later because I'm in um, I think that Damon is still out of time or out of town. So uh, look for it tomorrow. And of course, join the uh, club so that you can get uh, and be part of this community. And with that, I just want to thank everybody. And if the people that are on the stage want to unmic and say goodbye, thank you all for giving me your time. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.